G'day, everybody. Welcome to The Community is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. My name is Gareth Olver. Great to be with you again for another episode. And we're delving back into the world of poverty on this episode. This is going to be part one of a two-part episode. I'm talking with Kath Herbert, who is a Bridges Out of Poverty trainer from Hawker Brownlow Education. And we're talking about wealth uh, versus income and the inequalities and how that relates to poverty. So after the first poverty podcast that we did, Kath and I had a bit of a chat and I thought, this is really interesting and this is stuff that I think people really should be hearing and, and really need to hear. So we thought we might uh, do a few more episodes. We might do a bit of a series about poverty uh, over the coming months. So it won't be every single week will be about poverty. There'll be a few other subjects thrown in there as well. But over the coming months, we'll do a little bit more and delve deeper into what poverty is and how it can affect us, especially people here in rural communities. And as you hear over the next uh, two episodes, this one and the next one, there is a lot happening around poverty and how it affects us and how it can affect people in regional areas differently to those in the cities. I don't explain it as well as Kath, so I'll let her do the talking and do the explaining. And I hope you enjoy it. And this is, of course, the Community Examiner Name podcast. And it's brought to you by Grandpa's Community Health for you, your family, and our community. I'm joined by Kath Herbert, who is a Bridges Out of Poverty trainer from Hawker Brownlow. Uh, we are discussing poverty again. We, we're having a bit of a follow-up to our initial poverty podcast we did uh, a few weeks back. Kath, thank you for coming on the show once again. A pleasure. Thanks, Gareth. Yeah. So we talked a bit about poverty uh, probably six weeks, two months ago, and we both sort of thought this is a really interesting, really deep subject that there is so much we can we can talk on. Let's do a few more episodes about it. And we've been in touch since then. And we're going to talk mainly about uh, the effects of COVID and wealth disparity on poverty uh, this week. Can you give us just a, before we get into it, a bit of a nutshell about that, uh, what, what that actually is? Yeah, sure, because what prompted that was um, the Australian Council of Social Services, or ACOS, is doing a series of reports, and they're an excellent group who take concerns about what's happening economically for people to the government, whoever the government of the day is, and they also run terrific forums, and they're doing this Build back a fair, build back fairer report. And, you know, it's really fascinating to see what's happening because they're able to um, get really current data out. I mean, the Australian, based on the Australian Bureau of Statistics, but it's such a red tape machine that it takes ages for their, their um, data to hit. Um, and I'm waiting for October this year their data will be more available on the census line. But at the moment, there's only bits of it coming through. But in the meantime, ACOS have done this really interesting study into now the effects of COVID. You know, we've had a recession in 2020, and yet coming out of that recession, there's more wealth. So what's that about? You know, 
So I was interested to talk a little bit about that and the difference between income and wealth and the big impact and the big difference is what's going on in housing. So um, that's what prompted me to go, oh, I'm going to send that to Gareth. And then we went, yes, that would be good to talk about. So, Especially for areas like this part of the world, when we're talking housing, uh, and, and we, we spoke about this back when I did the Bridges training a few months ago with you, we saw a big influx of people come to regional Victoria. And it was probably the same uh, over where you live, because people who don't know, Kathy also lives in regional Victoria, other side of the state from here. Uh, and we saw house prices really skyrocket. And this was COVID-driven. And uh, people I know who work in real estate around here have told me that, yes, it's COVID-driven. A lot of people were trying to leave the cities because now we can work from home. You know, we don't have to spend two hours a day driving to and from the office. People looking for that work-life balance. Uh, the, the cost of living and the cost of housing was cheaper in regional areas. So we did see see that shift. And, Kath, do you think that that's, that's something that was reflected in the ACOS um Absolutely, absolutely. And as I go around doing my work, because I'm often in rural areas, and and I often say the face of poverty and what's happening for people in rural areas is very different from what's happening, the face of it, what's happening in metropolitan areas. And that's what I like about uh, ACOS, and there's also VCOS, the Victorian Council. Um, They actually look at the difference between what's going on in... um, uh, regional areas versus metropolitan areas. So, for instance, out of that report, it was saying that the increases in uh, housing affordability over the last two years, in rural areas, it's gone up 20% and compared to metro areas where it's gone up 14%. Now, both of those are huge, and but it's interesting that in rural areas, that increase in affordability is 6% more. You know, and that, that translates to um, big rises in what people have to find for rental. And also you add on to that what's happened in the last month or so is, the, is four, four uh, interest rate rises, which means that there's, there's people who are having to find $200, $300 or $400 more a month on their mortgage. So you've got renters and you've got mortgage payers, but the mortgage payers are suffering as well um, because of this increase, rapid increase, which is the biggest increase in 35 years, that report says. Wow. Um, which is quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I didn't realise that. That, uh, And as someone with a mortgage uh, who has seen my mortgage go up, I didn't yeah. realise it's, it's gone up that, you know, the biggest one in yes. 35 years. Yes, yeah, it's. It's quite, it's quite an extraordinary. So it's a good time to be talking about, uh, what's going on with wealth coming out of COVID because it's had a shake up, which I guess we're all aware of. But I think it's important to get a difference between income and wealth in your head. Um, which is something we talked about when you did the training. But there, there is a huge gap happening in what people earn in people's income. Um, and people's wealth is a separate thing again because wealth is, is your assets um, and and etc. gets added in. But when you're looking at, let's look first at what people earn because I find when I'm doing the training, people are a bit stunned when they realise, oh, 
So that's where I am in terms of the big scheme of things. So if you if you break the 100% of earners, and remember we had a thing of a swimming pool, so if we're all in the swimming pool together and we've got five lanes, in the first lane, lane one, people who are earning below $41,000 a year, um, which is in that 20%, uh, people bringing home around $750 a week, that's below the poverty line. And in that lane, people are going to be struggling. And then in lane two, we've got people who are learning 80000 a year, which a lot of people would say, well, that's a pretty good wage. Lane three is $120,000 a year. But we're only halfway up the swimming pool that we're all in together in terms of income. Because, and, and I, I watch people's faces when I talk about this, because people like to think that they're in lane four or five. And unless you have inherited wealth, you're just not going to be. So I have to handle their disappointment <laughs> and actually point out to them, not about you, love. We're looking at the stats to say the people who we serve in the various things we do, what lane are they in? They're probably in lane one. Because lane four and five, uh, is where people are earning um, $180,000 to $290,000 a year. The top 5% are earning over $500,000 a year. And remember, this is taxpayers um, and this is income. So above that, we have 131 trillionaires in Australia currently, just was announced last week. Wow. Um, that's a million million. <laughs> So being a millionaire doesn't really count for a lot anymore, but a trillionaire, we have 130 of them. And there's some very interesting tax arrangements that go on there that gets a fair bit of airplay. But so the problem with income, so there's the income gap. And as I said, people like to think they're, they're further along in the swimming pool than they are because when you then go, okay, that's what we earn in a week, and um, people who are on any sort of disability payment or JobKeeper or, or um, uh, pension are going to be in lane one. Um, and that comes as a bit of shock for people. And many people I meet who work in the service industries that support people, they're in lane one or two. Um, and, and so they, they realise we're actually, it's hard, people will go, so are you telling me I'm poor? I'm telling you that you're in the lowest income bracket and you must be very good at handling your money and making ends meet in order to survive and in order to survive well. So how how come that have what's happened is there's then quite a divide uh, and the divide comes not just in what you earn but in your understanding of how people are going and you get those statements um, where well, and I read that just before. There was a really interesting, yes, some people will say, this was out of the APOS response, there's varying views on this. Some people will say, well, $6,800 a week is excessive. But then other people will say, that's what we deserve for what we do. So isn't that interesting? One group, that's excessive. Who needs six grand a week? Other people say, I have a hugely responsible position. The buck stops with me. This boat goes under, it's going to be on my shoulders, therefore I deserve 6000 a week. And then the other thing for me in my work, where does the understanding come along that, along that swimming pool? What lane do you have to be in to have some understanding that there's a lot of Australians doing it tough? And, and I watched with interest when the interest rates went up because what will happen is 
people who are in lane three or four who are actually very comfortable will cry loudly about, oh, my God, look, I've got to find 300 a week, a month more. That means um, we'll have to have two cars instead of three or we won't be able to have a private nanny anymore or we'll have to let the cleaner go or something. And, and yes, that's very real for them. I'm not being sarcastic necessarily, but when you look at someone who's saying that means we won't eat every day and that comes as a really rude shock to a lot of people that that, that has to happen and you get politicians saying, well, I could survive on $40 a day with no idea of what that means. Um, and so... Yeah, rural poverty is different too in that um, there isn't the accessibility to the jobs that pay those ginormous wages often. And and also the other thing I mentioned is you might have thousands of acres and a huge shed with a whole lot of ginormous machinery in it, as they do say up in the Wimmera, but you can't be selling that. That's an asset, but you can't sell it to, to have liquid cash assets. So people kind of miss that. But then... The next bit while we're in the swimming pool together is who owns what. Uh, and that's the wealth statistics and that's what this um, ACOS report is on about. In the pool, we're in those five lanes and we're earning quite a bit of difference. But when you look at who then owns what, the lane ropes move incredibly so that people who are in that top in lane four and five actually own, well, it used to be 70 and it has slid a bit back to about 65%. So more than half of what there is to have, those top two lanes own that. So when visually in your head, that means they own half the swimming pool and a bit more. <laughs> and people who are comfortable in lane two and three, who are, who are making ends meet, um, account for about 17% is then the, the bottom end. So... It's a bit hard to talk percentages and not be able to see it. But what's brought that about, what's changed that in COVID is housing. Because how come those top earning groups own more than half of the pool? Okay, they have, your wealth counts more than your income. Your wealth counts, number one, inheritance. And in that report, fascinating stuff about who inherits what. In lane one, you might inherit when your mum and dad passes away and it's shared between you and your brothers and sisters, yeah? And, you know, good on your mum, good on your dad, leave me something. In lane two, three and some of four, you're going to be inherit sort of 150 to maybe 200 to $50,000 when somebody passes. In lane four and five, you inherit from the family trust a very different arrangement. You don't have a will you have a family trust, and you inherit a yearly income that might be 150 to 200,000 plus a year because the business, the family business keeps going. So you go on, you don't get a lump sum like I did from my mum and dad. You get um, a dividend that comes out of the family trust, and that makes a huge difference to people's wealth. Yeah? Then the next bit that's different in that top, four and five income earners is they've got money to invest and they invested in two two ways. They invested in businesses and they invested in property. In the middle lanes over COVID, a lot more people 
invested in property from that middle section, people who were doing okay, actually bought an investment property or a holiday house or a whatever because they couldn't go overseas on a holiday. Um, so they did things like bought $180,000 worth of caravan and, and, and you know, another $80,000 worth of car to tow it around. So we're seeing this affluence happening, except if you're in lane one, and two, you can't afford $180,000 worth of caravan. And my concern is the resentment that kicks in. You know, you going away with your kids with a series of, with four or five domies or two man tents and putting them around in a circle and having a last time is different to when you see those big caravans come in. The caravan and car is worth $250,000, which might be more than your house. So that concerns me in a social sense, that there's going to be resentment when people see that. And there's people pushing themselves too far in the middle too. People who are selling their house, which is suddenly worth um, $60,000, getting out of debt and buying $250,000 worth of rig to head off around, which which is going on as we speak. And that's a worry. So it's a financial worry for them too because it's not sustainable. Owning a rig in a caravan isn't the same as a house. Yeah, and then you also think about what's going to happen when these people can't pay that money back and the banks aren't able to get that money back and what happens then. It's a bit scary to think about, Kath, to be honest. It is, it is. I don't think, and I think, you know, there is talk about recessions and and that we're in an inflated, because people look at the interest rates, but you need to be looking at the cash rate and what's going on in that, because that's what's bought. That's where the supermarkets go, oh, well, we'll make cauliflowers $12 each, you know, and, and, and say it's because of the floods too. But, but that cost of living bit is scary, and, it, and it's scarier depending on what lane in the pool you're in. You know, like I, we just had a family um, special occasion, and, and we went to a ritzy restaurant in Melbourne, uh, very ritzy, and it – it cost, my husband and I, it cost us over $400 for dinner, which was like, well, we won't be doing that too often. <laughs> uh, very special occasion. But I looked around that restaurant and I thought, it's crowded. Every table, every couple is paying 400 bucks for their dinner. And that restaurant was crowded and the one up the road and the one up the road and the one up the road was all crowded. So there's splashing of cash and and I find it hard to justify that I spent 400 bucks on a meal and I didn't think it was that great actually either but never mind (laughs) that's another thing I was going to ask Kath did you have to do a Macca's run afterwards because you were still hungry (laughs) on the way home yes (laughs) Um, no but so and it's hard isn't it and and I always say I worry about kids a lot um, in poverty and Christmas time and times Easter and times like that where they there's that much stuff that's alluring and, and available that, you know, what's it like when you're a kid who just can't have that? And and what's it like when, add to that, you're a kid who's worried about the fact that mum, as a single mum, can't afford that and you take some of that worry on board for yourself? And that's a real issue. Those, you know, kids have got enough to get on with without worrying about how their parents are coping. And people forget that that happens the kids worry about what's happening financially and pick up on that for families. So so that over COVID, what's happened, I'm just having a look at my notes here, 
the big shift came from housing because across all of the lanes in the swimming pool, except in, the, in, in poverty, many people don't own a house and that puts you in a very vulnerable situation. In everybody who owned a house now has a bigger asset is the easiest way to say it. Uh, whether you've got a $5 million property in Turak or whether you've got a $600,000 property in Gippsland, it's more than what it used to be by nearly double for some people, you know. So across the world, we've got one of the highest housing bubbles that have come out of COVID. But across the world, on paper, we're, we're supposed to be wealthier. We're in the top four wealth countries. And it's sitting in the housing market is what's changed all that. Um, more people uh, have invested in either a holiday house or a, you know, a, a, a rental property to rent out. But it's also had that negative effect of people selling their rental property and, and people who are renting it have to go. And there's a real issue around that and homelessness. Social housing's actually dwindled its I think it's dropped about from 4.8 to about 4.2% uh, over the last decade or so. That's just from my memory from doing stuff from, with Homeless to Speak a few weeks ago. So sorry to interrupt there. No, 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 really important. And, and it's an area that people don't understand why, how come we've got more homelessness. Um, and, and it's just so complex, but it's basically, there was one report I heard where, uh, I think it was Anglicare, one in nine houses in Victoria, this is, only in Victoria, one in nine is empty. It's either a holiday house or an investment property. And many councils are starting to look at, um, what's it called, uh, you, you've non-occupancy. You, you can't, um, you know, they're, they're looking at that's not okay. But not far away from where I live in seaside areas and you drive around and no one lives in those great big houses. They're, they're an investment and they're a holiday and then because a house is no longer seen this is what shakes me a house isn't seen as a shelter for you to live in so you're safe it's seen as a money option so we've got people who don't have shelter um, increasing and you know 600,000 women um, of my vintage who have retired or whatever for whatever reason if they don't have a a house and they've got low super, which comes with the gender inequity. They've got they've got nowhere much to go. They're in dire straits, and they've hit the road in their not two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of caravan. Most of them have got an old high ace or something that's been done up, and they're on the road. But again, what happens if something happens to that Volkswagen or even Tourer? <laughs> yeah, where are you going? Yeah. And it's interesting, Kath, I don't know if you heard our podcast a few weeks ago on homelessness, but 93% of, of Australians uh, who are homeless are not living uh, on the streets. We, we think of homelessness, we think of people sleeping rough. We don't think of the people like you mentioned who are driving around, you know, in their caravans, staying at, at parks where it might be free to uh, to camp or, or or living with relatives is, of course, another another big one. And that, that's what was a term that I hadn't heard, which uh, is uh, hidden homelessness. And that, what you're talking about really goes right to the heart of that, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there was. I'm just looking at the notes that I made 
Anglicare did a big study in May of this year and they looked at 50,000 rental properties and they were saying in terms of rent, only seven of those were affordable for single adults and nine were affordable for a single person with one child in every hundred. That's redonkulous, isn't it? It's, uh, and we're just, and it's one of the things we need to have big talks about and have, where's the solutions to that? Like, it's, it's another thing that you can't just rabbit on about and not say, well, what are we going to do about it? And, and, um, interestingly, the, the last week there was an announcement that there's a new housing council that's being set up. Um, I'm just bringing up the notes that, are, that came out of that. And, and that's important because I remember, because I try to stay up to date with what's going on with houses, what's going on when I'm going to an area I haven't been to before, what's happening here with houses, you know, like one place in the middle of southwest New South Wales. You know, a fibro cement house for $500 a week? Really? Um, and there were only three rentable properties in that whole town. Like, crazy. And so... What happens is there is federal government given to federal government money given to each state for housing, um, and I remember reading a report about that. But the interesting thing is it's it's not all that transparent about what each state then does with that housing. Then, and this was pre-COVID, they were saying that Western Australia and Queensland were the two states that were actually using that money to provide affordable housing. So right now, the most affordable housing is in Western Australia. Um, and, and because they embraced, we need to provide affordable, low, lower cost housing. Whereas in New South Wales and Victoria, a lot of that national funding, the suggestion of this report was, that went to the great red tape machine that runs the housing departments. Um, and not there, is, there wasn't a strategic plan for what are we going to do about that. And that is where we leave it for this week. We'll be back again with part two next week. So please tune in for that because uh, we're going to uh, talk a bit more about some of the stuff that's happening in our local, local areas. I'm talking Ararat, Stall, Horsham and Surrounds. So definitely tune in for that. It's, I find chatting about this stuff absolutely fascinating. And I do appreciate Kath for giving up her time to have a chat to me about this stuff on the Communities Eminent Name podcast, which is, of course, brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Now, Grampians Community Health offer a wide range of services right across the western part of the state, covering the following local government areas. Northern Grampians Shire, Ararash Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Bullock Shire, Southern Grampians Shire, Pyrenees Shire and Central Goldfields Shire areas. Services available from Grampians Community Health include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, family violence help, aged care support and NDIS support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, mental health services, counselling across a wide range of areas, including generalist counselling, men's behaviour change programs, and much, much more. For more information, head to our website, gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday. 
587400. And of course, call during business hours and one of our lovely customer engagement team will be able to help you out. Or if you're a, a more of a chatting person type of, type of person, you can come into one of our offices in Ararat, Stall or Horsham and people will be able to direct you to where you need to be directed. Now, Grampians Community Health, of course, is on social media. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health. We are getting closer to 2,000 followers on Facebook, so if you'd like to jump on and give us a, a like on there, that would be really, really good. Help us hit that milestone and help us get our message out to more and more people. We're on Instagram and Twitter as well, at GCH Grampians, and we have a YouTube channel too, so you can also have a look at what's happening on YouTube and subscribe on there. We can find this podcast, sorry, stumbled over my words for a second, uh, anywhere good podcasts are found, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Audible, Google Podcasts, you name it. If you are on Apple Podcasts and you want to leave a review, that would be really, really handy. It helps people find the show. And also, if you subscribe on any of those platforms, you'll get the podcast downloaded directly to your listening device. And it will be there for you to listen to at your leisure, which is the beautiful thing about podcasts. We can listen to them whenever we like. The intro and outro music is an original composition performed by Andrew Parsons. He did that especially for us, which was really nice of him, and we uh, thank him for that. And we use the music, of course, with his permission. And finally, this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabberung people, and we pay our respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. Can't wait for you guys to come back and have a listen to next week to part two of this poverty special where we're talking about wealth inequality and especially how it's affected regional areas and how COVID's affected things too. Um, some good stuff coming up as well in the next episode. So stick around for that one. Like I said, subscribe, and then you will not miss it. It'll get downloaded directly to your listening device, be it your phone or your tablet or your desktop if you listen to Spotify and your desktop like uh, I sometimes do, for example, or on your PlayStation, wherever you, you have your podcast device set up to. So... Don't miss it. It's going to be well worth tuning in for. My name is Gareth Olver. It's always a pleasure to bring you this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you come back for the next episode for part two. Until then, on behalf of myself and everyone here at Grampians Community Health, I'd just like to say thanks for listening and so long. Don't forget, though, that Grampians Community Health is here for you, your family, and most importantly of all, for our communities. Mm-hmm.